So improv everywhere is like improv games, but they go out into the world. Mm-hmm. Do you know about them? Yeah, did yeah. you nod? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I thought you said no. no. Um, did you hear about the best gig ever? So they did one where they basically found a band that was playing at some really small cafe, right? That like nobody's heard of. And they got a bunch of people to basically become fans. Like they went online, they downloaded all of their music, they learned all of the songs and they went to one of their performances and had like, and they like sung along to the music and they, they, that band basically had the best gig ever because all of a sudden there were all of these people who knew their music. And they talked about how upset they were when they realized it was fake. fake. Because then the next show that they had no. obviously wasn't as big. And they talked about, like, yeah, that's how, yeah, you know, yeah. I <laughs> like mean, just to have a video online. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, it was, and also for, well, the, for the players, right? Like, yeah. I think a lot of the, and what think, the work is there is for them, for yeah, the people who practice. But I also think that they, yeah. uh, they had. Uh, a goal that was good they wanted the band to feel good right that was their like in their head but they didn't think about the responsibility of like what that meant Mm -hmm. you know there's like a debriefing kind of uh problem too Mm -hmm. like whether or not they actually wrap up the whole thing yeah Yeah. or whether or not they tell them or Welcome to Dispatches from Mount Cass, conversations from a creative community. In this episode, Christina, Albert, Mateo, and Aranea discuss designed experiences and the power and responsibility that creators have to their audiences. I'm Albert. I'm Christina. I'm Mateo. And I'm Aranea. So I've been learning a lot about different kinds of I mean, I call them secret societies, but some of them are not set up that way. Some of them are like called secret societies, but really they're interactive, immersive games. Um, an example is I found this book called The Wander Society by the author who wrote Wreck This Journal. Yep. Carrie Smith. Carrie Smith. Yeah. Did you, um, have you read the, uh, yeah. that one? Oh, Carrie wow. Smith. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I hadn't even heard of it, and I just saw it on a random bookshelf. Um, so it, she acts like that has existed for like hundreds of years right but there's no record anywhere uh pre-2016 which is when she wrote the book yeah so did she make it up uh does it matter like um it's real (laughs) well i mean it's real i think it's real it's real now Mm -hmm. i think for sure it became real yeah Mm -hmm. but also like you can't know that just reading the book because you read the book and you think it's real. Because she's acting as if this is 100% like mm-hmm. she's discovered this and it's absolutely real. Mm-hmm. And you have to do research online to figure out that like maybe she came up with this whole thing herself. Mm-hmm. But also you don't know because she hasn't, she doesn't she say like, no, I didn't, uh, no, I just made it up. I thought it was cool, I made yeah. it up. You know? Yeah. So that's the not knowing mm-hmm. going into it where like... And we like that feeling, right? I don't. I, I hate I, I that feeling. It. I, you hate I hate it so much. Yeah. Like, it doesn't make me feel good at all. <laughs> yeah. So you don't like the fact that you don't know if something uh-uh. is real or not? No. Yeah, I think that's where the question comes from. Yeah. Why you don't like it? I don't... I. Whether or not something is, is true, if you have a desire to know, you should be able to find out. And when uh, you have books like The Wonder Society, um, the whole point is that she's trying, like, she came up with the idea, but she's trying to make you think it's real. Mm-hmm. So she's like, there's a little bit of deception there. Mm-hmm. And you can't find the real answer. Like, if somebody wants to to figure out, okay, but really, did, did Carrie Smith mm-hmm. just make this up? They should be able to. Mm-hmm. But that's not available. It's funny because I think that's actually an extremely modern thing to be able to find out whether or not stuff Mm -hmm. is real. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the concept of like faith. I don't actually think that's true. Yeah. I think that it was maybe very difficult. It required a lot of like research at a library, like searching through books. But I think that the answer was like not hidden. Well, it's I not like was, somebody decided to hide the answer. I think it's know? only recently that we even have an overabundance of answers. And so I think maybe because of that, 
phenomenon where we're in a place where like there is no sense of like mystery as much that we, we have less access to mystery and that, that feeling mm-hmm. of like of unknowing that's i think that's why at least for me why it's uh these are interesting experiences mm-hmm. because this kind of feeling that i don't actually know is fun in a in a time where it feels uh, that feels more scarce i feel like you can get that feeling really easily just by not looking for the answer Right. I don't. I mean, I don't think so. So much because I feel like there's so many places where people have a strong sense of whether that answer is there or it exists. It. It's making me think of um, the concept of wonder, and that that emotional sort of headspace mm-hmm. when you are like when you discover something. Or experience something that feels very, um, very new or very like um, I don't know. How do you describe wonder? Like no, I absolutely, I absolutely agree with you yeah. that that is like an amazing feeling. I don't like fabricating it. Yeah, that's what I'm. I'm the one I'm thinking mm-hmm. about because I'm thinking about of like our the work of our friends Lee Redmond and like. And I feel like Harry Smith, maybe like maybe there's like a striving for wonder mm-hmm. in some of that, because um, and I think it can be experienced in that way, right? Like where it's like the idea of like there's this whole layer of um, of underground passages, or that's not a good example because of Jordan <laughs> Peele, but um, the like this idea that like there's something in the city that I haven't experienced before mm-hmm. and that's there and I just need to like open my eyes to it or like a natural phenomenon, like like Lee was talking on the book about wonder and about like noticing the little things in your life. And I think that feeling of like, it's always been there and I just mm-hmm. haven't noticed it is really like yeah. um, a really delightful feeling. It is. And then trying to fabricate it, I think that's that's maybe a question as designers is like where are the places where it that works and where is it not i'm gonna pose an answer to that Mm. but we can get into it maybe i'm not right maybe it's not true you can make a game where you say that the goal is to do a specific thing Mm -hmm. and inadvertently through playing it people will discover these little moments of wonder that are actually true mm-hmm. because it wasn't part, quote-unquote, part of the game yeah. to find it. Mm-hmm. Or you can make a game where your goal is to get people to have that feeling mm-hmm. no matter what. Mm-hmm. And how do you do that? By like hiding whether or not the answer is there. <laughs> well, I want to hear what Mateo has to say because you've been reading about suspension of disbelief and you yeah. also designed these pervasive city games (laughs) yeah Yeah, there's a lot there's different topics that um, so I agree with you Christina when you said that uh, our and I was reading that in this book Sapiens that it says that basically one of our sharing uh, characteristics as homo sapiens is that we want to understand the reality so bad that we spend a lot of time trying to understand it and looking at it and etc. So it's like it's a very we want to discover things mm-hmm. and we want to understand how everything works and etc. And I think also right now we feel that we have access to a lot of knowledge, yeah. but still I'm not sure. I think that still like information is one of the most important um, money out there and there is still mm-hmm. people that is hiding information mm-hmm. and with this information there is power that comes mm-hmm. to that mm-hmm. and I think it's still true today that we have internet and we have like access to a lot of stuff and uh, and I think information and power structure is also something that that I think is part of this thing about am I, am I getting tricked by this creator mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. he's the master so mm-hmm. he has a power over yeah. me that mm-hmm. I'm the audience yeah. and so I think the, the the question is an ethical question here so yeah, totally. as a creator how do we treat our uh, our audience because mm-hmm. like we are in power mm-hmm. and uh, so I think a lot of time you 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 have like this kind of experiences that are created by very powerful like people that have the privilege to do that and um and then you at, at, you are at their mercy, basically. Yeah. And then they can do whatever they want to you. So, Arnia, you were talking about the difference between 
people finding wonder within a structure versus uh, versus where like you're being put into a situation where you're almost forced to uh, mm-hmm. to feel a sense of wonder or at least a sense of discombobulation about reality, right? Yeah. Um, I think the latter one is something that is connected to what we talk about when we talk about pervasive games. It is this sense of like, you know, this game could be happening all the time, um, which is like the per- mm-hmm. uh, the, the general kind of, like there's a lot yeah, of different give a ways that works, but uh, pervasive games tend to be things that can happen all around you or that can be like the game that can be played at like all, anywhere you go mm-hmm. in a way is that, is at that, any time yeah at any time so it's not bounded as much right mm-hmm. um but usually there is a big boundary right. which is made maybe one year right like mm. or or maybe like the whole the whole country right like if you leave the country you wouldn't be able to play or if you leave, if you leave okay. the city you can't play but it's like meant to be very big mm-hmm. and it's meant to be like less escapable in a way um, and I think there's like real, there's strong ethical questions to to that kind of stuff and and, and design. Yeah, I but, think one other part of the definition is the fact that is not um, is not at the same time, but you can decide to jump in when you want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so like this is a uh, there's a concept of the magic circle in game design where mm-hmm. like uh, where there are boundaries of how the play works. Right, and when we step into the magic circle metaphorically, we are agreeing to the rules. We are uh, we are willing to like enter into a playful attitude. We're willing to uh, engage with other people as part of the game. And I think when uh, the like one of the powerful things about pervasive like, the, the concept of pervasive games as it's been kind of developed in the last like a uh, couple of years um, is that instead of having people step into a play space there's this sense that like you are letting the magic circle envelop all the stuff around you right so it's a sense of like Mm -hmm. expansion of like what the game can be um and i think like in in relationship to this power thing um when i think about it as a designer i think something that's really important and meaningful about making this kind of game and playing this kind of game is that when you see that the magic circle is something that you can that can take over everything around you i think it actually gives you a lot of power as a player because it gives you the power to recognize that the structures that uh, that exist around you that you tend to be playing by anyway can be broken uh for you to follow a different set of rules i think that like we're always in a in a magic circle uh that we don't pay attention to hmm. I think that there's no such thing as reality. And this is like, um, like I mean, I don't, I don't um, even know if this is, but like, the, my point is, like, all reality that we have, and this is what I mean earlier by, by social truth, <laughs> is that everything that we believe is to some degree... A game. Was, yeah, it's, it's to some degree a game, and it's to some degree, like, only because we all agree with it. Even scientific facts, right? Even laws are only true to the extent that, like, the community of people and scientists, like, agree on it. Because once it's disproven, that's when it becomes a law, right? Like that's when things being, like things go from like theory to law. Like facts are when it's disproven. Like, they that's when it becomes a law. Or sorry, um, when when things are things can be disproven, and uh, and um, you can disprove things and and uh, supersede like the old way of thinking about things. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, the, I mean, maybe more relevant to this conversation is that you talk a lot about how there's social rules that we all play by in different contexts, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that's invisible. Mm-hmm. Of like, Implicit. there's etiquette and there's like how you're supposed to act in certain places mm-hmm. and certain spaces mm-hmm. and how. I don't. I don't really start. want to talk about science being a set. Of yeah, I don't. Rules. I don't want to talk like, but. <laughs> I think maybe limit or like focusing more on like sure. the game of how we act as humans is yeah. what some of these pervasive games in the city sort of start to help us question or open mm-hmm. our eyes to like yeah. there is a rule about when you're supposed to cross the street or not yeah. and I a want, game can help. I want Albert to talk about one of the first things that you uh, discussed maybe like a year ago when you know we were just mm-hmm. like meeting each other or whatever you were talking mm-hmm. about coffee shops. And the rules that go along with coffee yeah. shops mm-hmm. and how sure. coffee shops are like a game. Yeah. I want you to explain that example because I right. love it. And it's what I use to explain this type of interaction to other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think that all the ways that we exist socially are, uh, are games. There are sets of rules that we enter into at different times. And they may not be playful games, 
but they are but if we can define rules as experiences uh, that are bounded and uh, regulated in some way by agreement on rules then there are many games that we're playing even when we're not saying like oh, I'm gonna play this game right now yep. uh, an example being when you go into a coffee shop the you have certain rules that you're playing by like the moment you enter into the door um, and there are ways that you can transgress those rules, uh, even though they're often implicit. So these implicit rules include, um, and sometimes they're explicit too, like buy something before you sit down, uh, don't hang out too long without, uh, without you know, buying another thing. Uh, you know, and, and sometimes it depends on, the, depending on the space, sometimes it means like don't talk to anyone else, sometimes it means talk to everyone. Um, but there's also rules about like how you talk to the, the person at the counter, um, about what that exchange means, and we we play by those um, every time we go into these spaces, unless we're actively transgressing them. And you know these are culturally defined, so it's not set by any one place. And then we have like larger structures that we're also in, like legal structures about like whether or not you can you know break stuff like that. We tend to we, we tend to be like in these nested series of rules. Um, you can't hurt someone inside. You can't steal stuff like that. That exists, like you know, even in the outside world. Um, so, all of those things that we tend to feel, especially in the social world, right? Especially in terms of like social interactions, that we tend to feel are really rigid. I think are actually malleable because they only exist to the degree that everyone who is participating decides that it's in effect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think for me it was like immediately clear because like in Europe you like cross uh, and you are in another country in like three hours. Mm. And so you arrive in Germany and uh, you don't understand anything and everybody's shouting at you and you don't know why. <laughs> and then it's just because it's implicit rules that are yeah. different. And, mm. uh, for, yeah. yeah. For me, I grew up in a in a Chinese household, and I live in a in a American city. And I think one of the things that uh, I recognized as a child was that like the way that my family talks to each other, mm. you know, when we're talking in Cantonese, like the tones that we use, like the volume we use, that seems to be something that is uh, that is interpreted much differently by people outside of our family. And this may be true about every family, too. It's like the way that your family interacts may be very different than the way that you interact outside. Mm-hmm. It's interpreted totally differently. So people think I'm yelling at them and arguing at them. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the language talk. barrier makes that even more... Sure. Uh, makes it feel like it's even yeah. even more drastic. Well, yeah. can, can you talk about the work you did with... Um, Critical City mm-hmm. upload and like what kinds of like what kind of game that was and what kind of like how the what the player experience was and how that um, relates to this topic of of mm. helping people see that those rules are are malleable. <laughs> yeah, I think there are, there is also like a conversation about wonder in some yeah. Critical yeah, City. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so Critical City was uh, our first game. Um, um, we started designing it in 2007 and uh, it went live in 2010 and um, basically uh, it's a pervasive game it's uh, if you ever heard about sf0 it's really similar to sf0 we should probably say like yeah. online about so sf0 fsf0 <laughs> it's um, it's a game that uh, was created i think in 2005 yeah probably around that the time yeah. mm-hmm. and it's a task-based collaborative uh, game so basically um, there is a website where you can find like uh, tasks and those tasks are organized in Zero are organized by topics and, uh, and guild I think and uh, basically you can your goal is like to read the task interpret it, it perform the task sometimes it's like action it requires you to do action and uh, put online some sort of like uh, call evidence evidence yeah. mm-hmm. about the, the task some kind of documentation documentation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it could be written can be a picture video and whatever and um, that this is the, the core of FZ0 and was the core also of Critical City the only difference was that because of my background in uh, architecture and also like uh, Augusto uh, my business partner is one 
urban economist. So we added another layer that was like this urban acupuncture concept. So basically, if you do like a task in one place, then the website recognizes the place. So if others go there and do the same and other things there, then this place is like activated. Mm. And so you get more point. Okay. It's similar to the dynamics that you have in Ingress and in mm-hmm. Pokemon Go, mm-hmm. where you have like the... Okay. the the gym. Yeah, yeah. In Pokemon Go, they're called gym. So basically, you go there and you fight for that note. Mm-hmm. So it was a purposive game. You basically had this website. You can go. There are like 100 tasks organized by level. Mm-hmm. And then you pick up your task. You shut down your computer. You go outside. You perform. Take picture, videos. Upload everything. That's why it's called upload. Because like you do that yeah. a lot of time. And then other players can vote you, comment and like give you points some points that is basic that is connected to the task so Mm -hmm. uh, basically if you start from level one then the first task were about like finding something online then level two was like doing something is on your house level three maybe in your neighborhood and Mm -hmm. then level seven you have like big epic events like in the main square Mm -hmm. that you Mm -hmm. can organize and so in this in this regard like it was like um, the, the cool thing about doing this kind of games is that you write down a task, but the players are free to like interpret it. So mm-hmm. every time we have like very different like execution, we were calling them of the same task. What's an example? Like for example, like we have a task that was asking you to take a chair, paint the chair with like very bright colors, and put the chair in a panoramic point of view. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you can have like people that do that like in a mountain, other people that do that like in the roof in uh, Rome. Mm. So like uh, like with very different style and very different things. So so you you the, the the cool thing is that players were free to find what they want in the mm-hmm. task. It yeah. was not up to us like to to yeah. force them to do that. So in this in this thing. Uh, there were also the, the fact that it was like auto like managed by the community, so mm. we were not uh, really like ban task, but was the the players that can ban each other if they think that the task was not properly done. It creates like a um, a sense of like shared uh, trust and quality, mm. and that was not like forced by us. So that was a, a very interesting thing. It was auto regulated by the community. Um, yeah, I agree. The fact that this kind of games like creates a meta reflection about yeah. what is a law, what is allowed, what is not. Mm-hmm. So, for example, we had like a law in Italy that you c- you're not allowed to occupy public space mm. uh, with a table, for example, or a gazebo. You cannot do that. Instead, you have to ask for permission. Okay. And one of our tasks was like create like a pub- a living room in a public space. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, players uh, from all around Italy uh, reconvene like, in, they convene in Bologna, and they did like this public room be um, under like these two very famous like tower that are in the center of Bologna, mm-hmm. and you there was like people from really all around North Italy. Uh, there was like there was occupation of public space. <laughs> <laughs> so we were definitely against the law, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, but like for example. Uh, two like policemen showed up mm. and they were asking what are you doing here and they say oh we're doing public things and they were giving out like cookies mm. they were playing games and etc so they didn't enforce the law mm. and what happened was for example like a musician passed by like um, cellist, a, a, chal- uh, a cellist yeah. passed by stopped and like give like this free performance oh. and, uh, mm. in the sunset yeah. and there was like 120 people uh listen to that for free because like you were breaking the law Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. I think this was like really empowering players to take action and say okay out there there is a world that is regulated by laws do I accept that law or Mm -hmm. like I want challenge them because I think that we can't do that right now was that part of your initial goals in terms of like citizen engagement or like what were the or did that emerge no, I think it was part of like the fact that, for example, I'm I'm an urban planner, mm-hmm. so working in urban planning is like in Italy at least is like economy, mafia, and <laughs> I don't know something like so it's like really bad and everything is like low, very structured, etc. Mm-hmm. So I think my reaction to that was like also like because I I used to do skateboard, mm. 
a lot. And mm. so when you skate and when you do parkour, yeah. you look at reality in a different way. Yep. Mm. So you see things that you think, oh, this is a good spot. And then, and you are breaking the law usually when you do skateboard because yeah. you are breaking public goods and then yeah. this kind of stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and also like doing graffiti is the same yeah. thing, right? right. Like uh, you, you are actually breaking the law. Mm -hmm. So I think these two things were part of my attitude. I guess, but why is that important? Um, I'm going to channel our friend Alicia because <laughs> she is starting a research project into the idea of um, belonging, the sense of belonging and how that relates to civic power. And mm -hmm. we were talking about how if you don't feel like you can create um, a place or like expect something in return or like have a relationship with a place you don't feel like you have any power right so a mm -hmm. step in oh, doing that is like recognizing that relationship you have a place which is what I hear when I think about skateboarders like interacting with the city or like um, players in critical city like looking at their public spaces in a different way because they've now have this like task to go create a create a living room there create a welcoming experience there so they're like engaged with this public space which before they were like you can't touch it unless you have permission um like that changes the relationship you have with the city and with where you live um and i think that's really important i think right? that we tend to have like binaries about like what's allowed or what's true or what's meaningful um, and it's like things like, you know, I can occupy this space or, um, or I won't occupy this space. Right. And then some, and then sometimes we're informed by like whether or not those laws allow us to, but I think as I've been thinking about it, I think I've been using a framework of like priorities a lot more. Mm. Uh, there are these ladders that we have, you know, it's like, um, that are like, I want to occupy this space. I also don't want to break the law, mm -hmm. you know, like I also don't want to get arrested. Like there's all, there's all these kind of things that, that, uh, that we, we determine our actions by. And what's really important about this kind of, uh, this kind of things like, uh, pervasive games and skateboarding and, uh, wander society and all these other ways in which we are given another way to look at the world is that it can help us rearrange those priorities at least temporarily. Mm. So for critical cities, the players are temporarily putting their way of their playing over like just flat out not breaking the law. You know, they probably still don't want to be arrested. So like that's probably higher than playing the game. But they're gonna try to figure out how to not be arrested, mm. occupy public space, and those two things are gonna be more important than whether or not they're breaking. Uh, for the Wander Society, you know, it's kind of like sometimes I have a priority of like not going out and being in the world or not walking around. And having this idea of the Wander Society being there is a way for me to rearrange my priorities toward doing things that the Wander Society suggests of me. And what makes those possible, I think, is communities. Because these priorities are reinforced by the kind of people that you engage with them in. Right? Uh, if everyone around you is really against breaking the law, you're not going to even touch that. But if you have a community that's offered, you know, even a fictional community like the, like the Wander Society, mm -hmm. then that might bring up your willingness to, to change the priorities that you have, at least mm -hmm. for the moment that you decide to play. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's not so much that I don't believe in realities <laughs> or and I don't believe in like I, I mean I kind of don't like I, got, I like the idea of like saying this is about not believing in in reality but the point is that I don't believe in like one reality I don't believe that there's one set of like of, of like every kind of truth that if that that's like dominant over anyone I think it's that we all have a bunch of different realities that we live by that don't necessarily like make sense to give up in favor of something that is like the perfect reality or the most true reality that we just operate on all of these constantly yeah. and we change them up and usually we have also different personalities yeah, yeah and cultures yeah. too right like even that changes the realities that are that, that makes things true so your question before about the one society was does it matter that it's yeah. real or is fake yeah, and I think that goes into um, 
So the the reason I, I thought about this is because when after I read the book, and I was going online to try and figure out if this existed beforehand, I was reading a lot of reviews about the book, and a lot of people hated it. A lot of people were mad that it was that it seemed to have been fabricated just for this book, that it didn't exist beforehand, and then that, that like this was nonsense and they've like maybe some people felt like they got taken for a ride or you know uh, that kind of thing which I get I recognize that feeling um, I think a more interesting question is does it matter if it's true because it seems like the point of the book mm-hmm. is to encourage people to go outside and experience things that they wouldn't normally have experienced and to see the real wonder in the world not really a fabricated wonder of whether or not the society is real but like the real wonder of like I found this thing and it's cool and whatever um, and probably also give them a community a yeah I mean well if well, if yeah. they make the society that's the, real that's the interesting part it's like mm-hmm. her method was to it was like almost like I don't want to call it speculative fiction, but it was almost like it's he like basically speculative it was speculative fiction, fiction like right. But because the I think why I was confused about Wander Society and I did mm-hmm. the same thing when I looked it up is because because there was also Wanderers Union, <laughs> which actually yeah. did the thing, yeah. right? Um, can you describe Wanderers Union? Yeah, and what I don't it know was, what this is. and like because they did yeah. what she was just reporting on allegedly. Yeah, or at least they had their their structure, <laughs> right? structure yeah. for doing part yeah. of it. Yeah. The Wanderers Union is a ongoing uh, project by uh, the same people who made SF Zero that Mateo mentioned mm. earlier, um, and they have a series of long-distance walking um, events that they host, where they give people maps and invite them to, you know, in small groups. Uh, usually, they're like one event, and you'll break off into your groups or whatever. Um, but uh, on a day, to walk for four or eight or 12 or 24 hours. Those are their, mm. their four uh, walking events. Um, and they don't really suggest actively that like, you know, you should be finding anything right. wonderful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They just kind of give you this game and our experience with it has been that it's just been, or my experience, um, I don't know if any of you, have, have you done it in town? No, no. Did no. you ever do it? You didn't mm-hmm. do it, right? It's okay, so it's okay. Um, my first one was a 24-hour wander. Yeah. Oh, um, I was, I, I had some friends, they were down to do it with me. We went to the event, there were like 40 people there, uh, ready to go. And, uh, yeah, I walked through the Bay Area uh, with, you know, some train uh, transit rides for 24 hours, and it was incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, going, gone through all these places where I had never been before, never considered going, never went again, you know, and discovering all this stuff just because I was put in a, where I was given a set of rules that encouraged uh, being in a place. Right. Have you ever wandered for a full 24 hours since? Uh, I did two of them. Uh, And I also did some of the shorter ones. Uh, How about outside of the Wanderers Union? um, uh, No, not not without not without sleeping or you know or or, yeah, Mm -hmm. on on trips and stuff. I've like done stuff, but it but not not in the same way at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I think there is two levels: Mm rules and community again. Mm -hmm. Because like if you're alone, you don't do this kind of stuff. I think actually, though, what the Wander Society is about, and you mentioned, you, you, uh, we kind of danced around this for a second, but I really do think that even a fictional community is a community. Right. Yeah. So I, so I've been, I've, I've been recasting some of my projects lately as speculative movements, um, because I <laughs> what think makes it, something a fictional community? Um, well, the idea it. that other people are are uh, care about and are engaged with it, whether or not you actually meet them and talk to them, this like having like this sense that you are part of something that is you know bigger than just you that is a sense of community and i don't think you you need to actively have people around you doing it as long as you imagine that i mean it's stronger of course if there are people with you but mm-hmm. i think that like you know say uh when i'm do when i'm uh in the parkour community um i mean i started with people and i it's more powerful for me when i uh, practice with people but even when i'm practicing alone I am thinking about the people that that uh, could be doing this stuff, the people that might visit the space, this space, and that is fictional. Is this is not fictional? Yeah, right. And it's different because you know that there are people who are doing that. Whereas with the Wonder Society, if 
you never like figure out if the yeah. community exists, I don't think you can actually have a sense of community if all the other people are made up. I uh, I mean I, I guess I disagree, um, and Mateo doesn't right. <laughs> like I think that uh, that um, even like here's another aspect of the fictionality right mm-hmm. like uh, for parkour, mm-hmm. uh, it's super important to me that like. Uh, it was super important to me that, like, I knew that people were doing it all around the world. Never met any, or I met some of them, but, like, I didn't meet most of them, right? But the sense of, like, the bigness mm-hmm. matters, even if that bigness is fictional. But so, you said you knew that there were people doing it all around sure. the world. Sure. Yeah, How did yeah. you know I'm, I'm saying metaphorically, though. Okay. Oh, because of the internet. Like, I, I met I Yeah, so you know the that they exist. And people talked about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that a bunch of them, even though I didn't know it, like, it felt expansive. You know, like, me, like having talked to, like, ten people meant that there could be hundreds. Talking to a dozen people might, or a couple dozen people might mean there's thousands, and that matters. So even, so even like the people that don't actually exist that I'm imagining are a part of my community. Like, this Jane McGonigal in, in yeah. her talk, she talked uh, about like epic, right? The sense of epic yeah. that you have in games. Like, but I think that, is, that the sense of community is really, really powerful because you are engaging with rules that are shared between people so mm-hmm. in order to feel like uh, not blessed by but allowed to like challenge these rules you want to, to feel that you're not alone mm-hmm. um, yeah. I think the feeling doesn't necessarily reflect realities mm-hmm. but the feelings are important like one thing that alternate reality games do pretty well mm-hmm. Is the, and alternate reality games are games that are more than pervasive games, like really trying to like play with what is real, what is not. Mm-hmm. And the uh, lines really hard. Yeah. yeah. So what what do they do pretty well is creating community, because like you cannot solve an alternate reality game by yourself. Hmm. So what mm-hmm. is happening is actually that creators of alternate reality games knows that so usually they have someone that is like infiltrating the community the emerging community that is playing an RNG mm-hmm. so um, again it, it, it I think it like makes a good uh, connection with what you were saying that community is part of this kind of like uh, and maybe wonder society uh, in the intention of the author mm-hmm. there was like the idea of creating a community of wanderers mm-hmm. right I mean there is there is written then it's not it didn't happen and most of the people are angry yeah <laughs> at her but like uh, um, but 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 there is like inside when you when you read that especially if you played RNG or like you created RNG mm-hmm. you read that and you recognize the the, ger- the jargon of like the way that that you create communities mm-hmm. so um so what yeah, is, yeah, yeah. yeah. What is the? I'm curious about ethics around ARGs and uh, why. Like, why would someone decide to make an ARG over a pervasive game, or like, um, has anyone decided to like? The the ARG that I know about the most because I was uh, following a YouTuber who played in one mm-hmm. was around the second Cloverfield movie. Okay, there was a big ARG around that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this this goes into one of the questions I have is that like people know that it's a game, right? Yeah, yeah. because it's around a movie. Yeah. So yeah, like, yeah. even though they are playing and like the lines of what is real is getting blurred because they're like looking up audio recordings online and they don't know where those audio recordings came from. They don't know if they were real things that somebody recontextualized to be something else or if somebody fabricated whatever. But they know that the whole thing is a game. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Is that important? Is it important for the that the player know that something is a game? Right. I think for agency, yes. Yeah. <laughs> like on a human level, that's uh-huh. my gut reaction is yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, it's mine too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my corollary to that is like, why don't I care? Like I don't. Yeah, that's I what know. I'm, I'm interested. It's why don't you right? care? Like, I I recognize. Like I, I'm, when I think about it, I'm like, oh, it does feel kind of manipulative, and it yeah. does feel kind of cynical yeah. to like to just be like, oh, we're going to like force these people into thinking. Can that I way, can so. I pose a, a suggestion? Yeah. You think everything is a game. I also don't so, believe in reality. So everything is always a game. <laughs> right. So if everything's always a game, game it does it really matter? matter. Yeah. Does it matter <laughs> that you're playing? You know.
everyone want to talk about Hexmap? No, I guess, like, yeah, let's talk about it. Because I, uh, I feel like my interaction with Hexmat was similar to these reviews of this book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, mm-hmm. and I don't think it has anything to do with demographic. I think so much as it has to do with each individual's personal experience, right. whether or yeah. not they have experienced a game like this. Yeah, yeah. What is Hexmat? So Hexmat is a historical society. Uh, that is exploring a underground train system of the same name that existed in Oregon, mainly in the Portland area and beyond. Okay. Um, it also doesn't really exist, but it's it, it kind of exists. It's a fiction. Yeah. Well, okay, yeah. and then the other way to explain it is that Hexmet is... Um, it's a group of friends who were really interested in guerrilla civic engagement and like creating immersive experiences for their communities and their friends and in a way where our friends like in a way where we didn't need like where the people we invited in didn't necessarily have to be like part of Hexmet to experience it so we created this one summer experience where we all wanted to go check out Enchanted Forest which is this kitschy theme park so Um, kitschy so kitschy and so okay. amazing because it was like this one dude who was obsessed with like cement <laughs> and he created all these cement things it's amazing it's like disney but like it's but like one person made it all <laughs> and it's it's like off-brand disney yeah it's like it's off-brand like, disney <laughs> like if somebody from disney showed up and really cared they would have probably a lawsuit against they, yeah the problem is that like nobody would care yeah but um, so we, I think it was just like we wanted to share this amazing place. So we created a day long event, and we created this other layer around it where it's like Hexmet, the historical society, is um, bringing this group of people here. So there was like an audio that you played in the car that was about Hexmet. There was like a scavenger hunt that was part of exploring the park. Um, there were some planted coins, um, coins, and there was some planted. We did, we put a little plaque on oh, yeah. the bench. Um, so did the, you screw that into the bench? No, it was just paid. Okay. I was fascinated by that. Yeah. Because <laughs> it looks like it's just like a metal plaque on a yeah, bench. So yeah, yeah. it looks like you screwed it in. So there, so there were some elements to like that do blur that line of like, is it real or is it not? Mostly the audio. Mostly the audio track leading mm-hmm. up, which we took inspiration from previous things we've been part of and like that, you know, yeah. in different contexts or different ways. But I think that actually the interesting question now that you've brought up like... Um, your experience with it and like why you're so mad and I'm thinking about these other uh one of the organizers actually brought their teenagers and their kids and they were very much like is this real or not (laughs) like just tell me and their dad was just not telling them (laughs) because it was like fun for him um I think that's an interesting question of like for people who have not experienced these kinds of games for your first time players basically right like mm-hmm. what are the responsibilities you have to them what are the yeah. ethics around sharing or not mm-hmm. and we were like and in our heads in our minds we were always like the curtain's always open we actually want people behind the curtain we want you to come in we want you to be engaged and intrigued but that's not always obviously we didn't do that well right like we, we it wasn't structured and well, it wasn't in place I don't think we opened the curtain no, I yeah, we did yes. yeah. Well, I'm just saying, intent like our intention was right. in, on a meta level was to do that, but in but this case, it wasn't. The right? idea was that we invite people through, so like um, intentionally, yeah, rather than just give it away and just be like, oh yeah, yeah, we're just like you know out of character, everything's fake, guys. Right. Let's go back and play this game because it didn't feel like it was powerful enough. Our problem in that case was that we didn't really plan how we were going to reveal that. Yeah. So we didn't have anything to give, so we defaulted to stone fa- to stonewalling. It. Well, we were committing to yeah. the character at and that, that, event, that yeah. the fiction, right? So what is... so? Yeah, Not the, just at that event. No, not just at the event. Um, Leading up to as well. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and what we needed was to was to have a plan. I think for inviting people in who wanted to come, yeah, become you know be be a part of the creative team, yeah, or at least like the community of people who were like in on it. And I didn't realize that was like yeah. a, I didn't realize that could like cause harm or like be yeah. mm-hmm. be like yeah because I had experience this kind of anyway i want to give people others space but i'm I'm going to reflect on i think i like experience that um is it realness 
previously mm-hmm. and I'm trying to figure out how I dealt with it <laughs> like mm-hmm. why it was okay mm-hmm. um so you you said you wanted to offer people a way to like be a part of the creating of the thing if they want to is yeah. it allowed for somebody to just be like I just want to know and um, not like I, mean, I don't want to I, I don't want to yeah. participate yeah. I just want to know if it's real I mean, I Is think that... we made mistakes at that time. We were under different paradigms. I do mm-hmm. think that right that, that now there like that should be something that's okay. available. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that it should be something that is intentional, mm-hmm. because the the theory right that we're, that's operating. And I actually don't have an, a good answer on this, but like there's a theory right um, that the sense of wonder should be maintained, right? Like this is a immersive, this is about like being immersed in the thing um, that, uh, that you shouldn't um, uh, drop character, at least, uh, you know, while, while the thing is going on. And I think, and you know, as I've been witnessing and engaging with more LARP conversations, mm. this question of what is, a, what, how, how immersive does a thing need to be? How rigid does the immersive structure need to be? Um, seems to be uh, I mean I think it's softening for me yeah uh, that like you know you can go out of character and mm-hmm. come in and out of the world and that should be totally fine can you have to talk I about mean, that and why it's more powerful yeah okay. um, I mean it's, the, shif- it's shifting like yeah. Um, yeah I had conversation with creators and yeah. consent yeah. and these mm. kind of stuff are they're really certain. Yeah, yeah, yeah you will never end up in a LARP without knowing Right. That of course. Are in a yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So these like things, it will never happen. Yeah, but the I think one of the conversations that has been happening in certain immersive LARPs, the ones that kind of happen for long periods of time, is uh, you know like for a weekend or whatever, right? Um, is that there have been different structures for which the players are like quote unquote allowed to usually it's more of a social thing um, exit their character. Mm-hmm. to you know have um to kind of take care of themselves emotionally yeah. or physically or whatever and i think there was a norm for a long time that uh that you know having as much immersion time as possible was the most important thing because theoretic in, in that version of the theory mm-hmm. when you escape when you exit the character then everyone else is like is their immersion is also is broken um, but I think that's shifting in a lot of ways. I mean, like first towards like having spaces where uh, where you can go out of character, out of character spaces that were explicitly made for people to like kind of enter into and be like, all right, I'm at, when, when I'm in this space, I'm just like I'm not I'm not playing. Don't you know? That, that's how you signal it. But even more so, uh, I've been hearing conversations of games where like the the uh, inhabiting characters like is is just totally fluid. You don't you think you know? It's there's no, uh, there's an explicit. Um, there's an explicit like uh, uh, invitation to um, to drop the character even during the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, usually through structured rules and stuff. But yeah, there's yeah. gestures. There are safe yeah rules. gestures. Yeah, or like, are you okay? Kind of stuff. Uh, so yeah, we're talking about consent, right. power structure. Mm-hmm. And do you and and I think Hexman was asking oh, yeah, people to yeah. LARP. As Hexman without them knowing they were laughing yeah, as Hexman. I think that's where we, we made a mistake. Well, and we didn't even know. Space, we didn't yeah. even. I didn't. Even, there was something like I did not know. I did not know. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I think we had a we, like there was a narrative of like like you know we we believe that people have the choice to, to right. decide whether or not it's real. And you didn't. You did not like, give people the choice. I know. I know. No, 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 but like, yeah. uh, but I think like you know internally the the yeah. uh, our, our, our fallacy that we had. <laughs> Like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, people who you don't believe it or who who believe it's real are just deciding. It. I don't know. It was weird. Yeah. Uh, so when you first told me about Hexnet Society and how you were going to do this thing, mm-hmm. uh, first of all, I was not interested in going to the Enchanted Forest. <laughs> I was like, ugh, this is this is too campy. I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but you were telling me about Hexnet Society, and this was the first fake society. Mm-hmm that I'd ever heard of. So you say society and my brain goes, oh, a bunch of people have gotten into a room and have like established this thing and there is documentation that it exists. And so the first thing I did was Google it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, wait, there's no, there's nothing, there's nothing here. Is it real? And you guys just gave me nothing. <laughs> I don't know. It's real. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the, the whole thing. And then um, I decided not to go to the event. And you guys were very, like, 
Oh, I don't want to say pushy, but I think you thought yeah, I would we really enjoy it. Yeah. You were pushing it because you thought I would enjoy yeah. it. And so you were like, no, you should really go. I'm like, all right. So Cameron and I both went, and you had set up this audio file to listen for the car ride there, which I thought was, it was, I thought it was very cool that you had basically been like, okay, we're 20 minutes away from Enchanted Society, so we're going to set up 20 minutes of audio. Mm -hmm. We're going to, like, put you into the mindset of this, which I thought was cool. But all of the audio um, imagines that it's true, Mm -hmm. obviously. So it sounds like really old audio. Mm -hmm. It sounds like it was found, like, actually discovered. Um, And I couldn't figure out if it was real. Like, I legitimately did not know if you guys had found this stuff or if you had made this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and to then when... Is the answer. Well, what no, you... we made it. You made well, it, no, 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 you but made like, it all. Was, was from like... No, no, no. There's some of the, uh, the conductor voice was right. like from real audio that Jason found. Okay. Yeah, but it wasn't like... But he just used snippets and then like kind of put it in the context. Got it. Right? Okay. But it was... But it was it's like real audio, but it's not actually about X-Men. Yeah. Um, and then the other major issue is that when I got there, like... You had uh, brought in people, friends of yours from Portland, as well as friends from this area. Um, and I had the sense that you had not done this just the two of you, but I had no idea right. who else was in it. So it's an entire day of walking through a theme park, and that part's fun. And like the puzzles that you had set up, the the quit like not quizzes, um, scavenger, the scavenger hunt type things, like and and the activities that you had set up, that was all fun. Um, but whenever I was talking to somebody who I did not know, I did not know if they were, right. if they knew this stuff, mm. right? So that thing on the bench looked mm. super real to me, other than the fact that I had kind of figured out at that point that this was a game and that like mm-hmm. the, it sent you to a voicemail or something like that. And that told a story um, that that was fabricated, but the, the plaque itself mm-hmm. looked real and I couldn't figure out, I couldn't figure out what was going on. Um, and there was like the the other guy who set set up the Jason event with probably, you, Jason yeah. probably, kept like directing us to the bench. Like we <laughs> we had walked by it a few times, and he's like, "Have you checked out this bench?" And you I was really like, liked it. He, "Well, I mean, it was cool, was cool but yeah. also like that felt." Um, I was like, "Okay, so he's a creator, and mm-hmm. he is leading me to do this thing. Yeah. I don't feel a part of this. I feel led mm-hmm. to this. Um, I." And then at the end, like, by the end of it, I just had, like, a panic attack. Mm-hmm. And I had to leave. Yeah, I sorry. felt... I mean, that's okay. But I'm just letting you know, like, how mm-hmm. uh, how not knowing and not having the experience or the context for this kind of mm-hmm. situation was really uncomfortable. It sounds really unsettling. Yeah. To not know what... And it makes me think of, like, the ways other... Uh, it's making me think of um, uh, Sleep No More. Mm-hmm. The it's a immersive theater play in New York, and it's like a five story hotel, and you walk wander through it, and it's, it's Macbeth, Macbeth, yeah, and Rebecca, and Rebecca, mm-hmm. um, based on those plays, but um, it's all it's all like it's told through silence and dance, and you sort of wander around and can explore the story at your pace, and scenes are happening simultaneously. Mm-hmm. But one thing they do there is like it's very clear, like the audience all the audience all wears masks. That like distinguishes them from the players and the, mm-hmm. the actors, yeah. um, and just things like that, right? Like signaling who's a creator, who's not. Um, and we tried, you know, there were little things we tried to do, but it didn't didn't work. And mm-hmm. and also there was another experience where we created a uh, we called it Midnight Snack Society, which was like a potluck, and we asked people to dress up, and we were asking people to like pretend to be party crashers to this fancy party, mm-hmm. but you create a fancy character to be that. Um, but at the very top of that invitation and email was like two sentences in italics that was like. We got a fancy food gift certificate. Yeah. We made this game to like have an yeah. excuse. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the email was in character and yeah. as Midnight Society. Mm-hmm. So that was an instance where we did it well. And Which I was totally... Met, and that yeah. was actually my first interaction yeah, with yeah, you yeah. guys. And I was totally yeah. on board for that. I'm like, oh, this is just like an improv game. Right, right. Cool. We're yeah. going to go to this yeah, party. Yeah. It'll be great. Yeah. Yeah, I think we, we love being in power. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> maybe maybe yeah. we don't... We don't are in power a yeah. lot in our life. And so when we when we 
when we, we are yeah, at the mercy of someone else, then mm -hmm. we start also like figuring out maybe I can do something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that's yeah. part of like that feeling of being the, being the master is really powerful. Like, yeah. We want that. Well, and the, the hearing yeah. the reflections of Hexmed in that day and uh, how people experience it in Jason's day, the, what it's making me realize right now is that we were really like the creators of it like us and Jason and some people from Portland, I think we were enjoying playing the game so much that we forgot. We were, uh, we were like really enjoying it as players mm -hmm. of like, we're Hexmen, yeah, we're we committing really to our to role. Believe, we were really, we really wanted to believe that it was And I true. think that, um, like I'm seeing how that um, affected, we didn't have our designer hat as much mm -hmm. on when we were interacting with players. Like you asked many times, is it yeah. real or not? And we were definitely like cat and mousing about it. And it's sort of like, that was our player hat, and that ended up being irresponsible as a designer, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I don't think I realized that before. Yeah, and that's a situation where, like, your context, where you made it. Yeah. So you 100% yeah. right. know that yeah, it's fabricated yeah. and 100% know it's a game. Yeah. So you can put yourself in it and exactly. like, okay, we're, yeah. we're going to pretend like this is true, and we're going to let that... Um, I'm going to quote uh, Firefly, actually, here. So there's... There's one point in Firefly where River is, like, ripping up Shepard's Bible, mm -hmm. right? And she's like, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. It, like, none of this stuff makes sense. It's super inconsistent. Like, it's all, you know, this, this can't be true, so we're going to, like, fix it. And he says it's not about making sense. It's about believing in something and letting that belief be real enough to change your life. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. So, like, yeah. take religion out of that sentence, right. mm -hmm. and you can do that with a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And... I recognize the the power of like deciding that something is real, even though you one hundred percent know that it isn't, and letting that affect you, and that's what you guys did yeah. for Hexmet. Yeah. I think I mean, that's what I was gonna say that I also really wanted it to be real. Mm -hmm. You know, as a I mean, maybe this is just like my, my player role, mm -hmm. um, but I but, think for all of this stuff, it's like. I really, like, I believe in it in some way, you know? Like, I, I know that it's it's fictional, mm -hmm. but I also know that we create our own realities. Like, to, we, we get to define what we, how we're going to act and how we believe. And I really wanted it to be something, um, you know, not necessarily in terms of historical fact, but in terms of, like, a group of people who actually do get together and do find adventures and do look for, like... Um, metaphors for the underground network of artists and, and you know that's what it was about and i yeah. think that that I had, I had a kind of like uh fervency to mm -hmm. like wanting to believe that and i didn't want to i didn't want to break it for myself yeah mm -hmm. and i love that concept yeah because that concept is great right like that you as a group look i don't know so well the key word is metaphor yeah, look, look for the things that are a metaphor yeah. for and your question the society was like, that you're not looking at, yeah. right? Um, where am I going with this? Um, so here's where my, my sentence earlier about how you design a game mm. affects things. So if you des design a game where you don't say... Where you don't say... <laughs> Uh, if you design a game where you don't say that um, there is this fake society, but you say, I want to get together and I want to look for things that are interesting and I want to find mm -hmm. the connections and things that maybe we haven't mm -hmm. seen before, mm -hmm. you're leading people to find the real wonders in the world rather than like fabricating a society and hoping that people find wonder in that, but it's not true. Like, there's different ways to, like, set up that kind of game. And I recognize that I'm coming from a major bias in that, that I only want one and I don't want the other. I don't want the fabricated mm. wonder. I want the, the thing that leads me to real wonder. Mm. But um, I, I, I feel like you can still do Hexmet Society in a way that isn't... Um, yeah. Cagey. Or what's or a... Well, I, I don't even feel, like, manipulative. Um, Dishonest, I mean. It's, it's it's nothing that it's nothing layer. that bad. It's, it's just, just like, like behind the... a, a a veil. Mm -hmm. Like it's veiled. It's uh, yeah. you know, or it's an extra layer mm -hmm. of which maybe isn't yeah. necessary. Yeah. If the point of what you're trying to do is to get people to be explorative, I mean, I don't know if it's not necessary. Mm -hmm. I think it has to be clear that is a mm -hmm. yeah. functional thing. Sure, but yeah, but it can be like I mean, we have like states. 
right? They are fictional. What? I mean, the United States of America is fictional, right? No. So, so Sapiens again. I read just two chapters. I wrote of this it book, down. I'm of this book called Sapiens. Uh huh. And basically, the the real evolutionary advantage that as Homo sapiens we have compared to Homo neanderthals or like Erectus is not the size of our brain, mm -hmm. but is the capacity to create fictional world. What we are good compared to Neanderthal was to create things that don't exist in the world. Mm. And this is not like because like it's just cultural, but is because around this cultural structure, myths, religion, etc., we can coordinate large group of people. So basically the maximum tribe that you can have as a Neanderthal and your language is limited to the river is there, the lion is there, the food is there, and blah blah blah, is 150. But when we, you have like a religion, like you said, the lion is our spirit guide, mm. you can aggregate tribes of thousands. What we are good at is creating these imaginative words, things, myths, religion, states, mm -hmm. and obey to that in a way that helps us coordinate. And this coordination allows us to be thriving in the world. This is what I. This is kind of what I mean by um, the fictional community and like the power of having mm. that that kind of fiction, um, because what it allows you, what it allows is that when you do encounter people who are part of it, you don't have to like vet the truth of something else. You know, you have something that you have in common when, yeah. when it arises. So, like even for the Wonder Society, if we both read that book. We have this kind of like historical narrative, you know, if we both believed in it or, or at least like wanted to engage with it or decided to be doing it. Mm -hmm. um, when we encounter each other, we have this whole history that didn't have to happen between us. It happens like uh, we, we are, we become a part of it, we step into it. Mm -hmm. And I think that, so this is why I think it's kind of important or it's kind of useful, you know, not necessarily required or anything. But it's useful to have this kind of narrative. Um, this and, and this is, I think, what happens with or what is happening when we are drawn toward creating or participating in these secret society kinds of narratives or things that approach that. Is that we're creating this fiction that allows us all to become a part of something that has existed, um, even if it hasn't actually. Uh, and I think this kind of imagination is, you know, I think it's kind of necessary for us to be able to change the world or be able to um, create a world that's better. It's having this belief that it could be possible and entering into a willful, mm, like, like willingly, willingly allowing ourselves to believe in something that, uh, that isn't, yet, like, materially there. Why do you think it's necessary to be able to change our world? Um, because I think otherwise we, we get really easily caught in the trap of uh, cynical realism or cynical pragmatism where we say, where it's really easy to say, oh, this is just how things are. Mm. Let's just keep doing this. It's the best thing that we got anyway. People, you know, last year died more. People this year are dying less. Let's just keep going exactly how we are because that's the best we got. If we can't imagine that there's there could be something better, or there could be something different that might be better, then we're not gonna. I don't think that we're gonna be able to live that way. Uh, <laughs> the only thing I want to say about that about the United States about the United States <laughs> yeah, and about how it's super real, um, no, <laughs> is that I don't I don't like the um, what you said about how your option is either to believe in things that aren't real. Or to be a cynical realist. Do you think it's possible to be an optimistic realist? Mm -hmm. Because what you're talking about is like... Um, you have to imagine that things can change for them to be able to change. You have to imagine that that possibility could exist. I don't think that's the same thing as imagining that something that you know that isn't real is real. Mm. If I don't think that my community is engaged enough I don't feel like I have to make make up a secret truth or a, a, a fabricated truth or whatever that I have to believe in just to change it sure. 
I feel like you can be like, I don't like the way thing this is. It is the way it is. But I know that I can change it by doing these things. And none of that has anything to do with these uh, games or societies or different ideas. I think on... Um... I don't think being a realist is being pessimistic. No, right. yeah, I agree. I, don't, I think the one thing that I will say to like tie some of this together mm-hmm. is I think that for a lot of designers especially of immersive and pervasive games mm-hmm. um, there's been a shortcut that we have used yeah. where it's like in order to make it feel like bigger than you and yeah. that there's more people in it mm-hmm. and that it is uh, a community one of the, the shortcuts we've used is putting this layer of oh it's a society there's so many people and you don't mm-hmm. even know and i in keeping that ambiguous and and vague, we we hope that it gives some people this sense of like, oh, it could be much bigger than us. Well, we and know I think that the, it gives some people. See, it comes up, exactly. And then and we it does. expand that to all the other people. Yeah. And, that's and I think that, I think the challenge uh, is how do we do that in better ways mm-hmm. and with consent and in, um, and in just more elegant ways. And uh, I think you're absolutely right yeah. that it's a tool that can jumpstart that yeah. process. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Absolutely. And I think it can be, it's t- it has become sort of a lazy shortcut. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like this layer of like, ooh, mystery means like wonder. Like that's like, mm-hmm. that's not, and I think it's just, it's a good design challenge. You've been listening to Dispatches from Mountcast, conversations from a creative community, produced at Mountcast Studios in Corvallis, Oregon. Check out the show notes for music credits and more information about the people and things we've talked about. I mean, I think it's fake. <laughs> Me too. Now Kaz is but I always want to know from the get-go. Now Kaz is fake. Now Kaz is totally fake. It's not though. It's totally fake. I actually I think it's real. Oh, it's so real and so. I think it's real. Now Kaz. I don't know. <laughs> Just it? <laughs> Just wow, it's not one that's the same, you know?